Welcome to the Mortal Kombat Tournament. Here you shall fight one another to the death, for the fate of your world depends on it. <laughs> Behold, the tournament is scheduled. The first fight shall be Johnny Cage versus Liu Kang. Then, after that, it will be Johnny Cage versus Kano. Then Johnny Cage versus Scorpion, and so on and so forth. Any questions? Yeah, hi, Johnny Cage, first timer. Uh, with all due respect, sir, it kind of looks like you have me fighting everyone. Indeed. One by one. It does look like that, yes. Yeah, it's just, uh, that's, that's not really how a tournament works. I'm not sure how a tournament works. Excuse me? Well, there's supposed to be brackets. This is just me fighting one guy after another. What's your point? Well, for example, Sonya's up in round seven. So what does she do before then? She waits, I suppose. So Sonya gets a six-round bye. If you want to call it that, yeah. Okay, this isn't fair or logical. What happens if I lose? Well, I suppose everyone wins, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. You're kidding me. What retard organized this? Whoa, 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 whoa. We do not use the R word in front of Goro. He worked very hard on the tournament schedule, didn't you, Goro? Goro made good schedule. Yes, and he did a very good job. Who is I, Goro? Enough, Earth Warriors. Take your positions. All right. Well, at least I'm fighting somebody normal first. Fight! Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. wrestling pontification as two men who spend too much time on the internet have never stepped foot in a ring in their life but still feel they can tell everyone else what they're doing wrong try and do something unique and discuss about that on a podcast i think we might be failing ourselves somewhere but yes it's let me tell you something i'm your co-host Lorcan mullen and with me as always is the fire ant to my soldier ant the worker ant to my silver ant, the arctic rescue ant to my missile assault ant, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? Oh, I'm doing good. I've just got to um, issue a small correction here, first and foremost. Oh, I, I have stepped inside uh, the square oh, circle. Oh, yes, of course. You've thought of training, haven't you? Is um, that happening? No, um, uh, not, not, not in training, not in training. In fact, I have stepped inside the elimination chamber. Oh, I see. At WrestleMania okay. Access. So I have briefly, briefly been between the ropes. I see. Where okay. I met one so, Darren Young who so told you. us... He had something uh, in the works um, that wasn't reformed with primetime players. <laughs> Bob Backlund. I could not have called what it was going to be. <laughs> did he lay any kind of suggestions? Did he think? Did he? Did he give any hints? Did he go? Where are you going to eat? Maybe you should try some lovely chicken wings. No, <laughs> no. He ju- he just 
said he had something in the pipeline. Uh, I was a bit of a prime time players fan, so it's like, oh, it's a shame you're not getting back because they get with Titus. So it's been a while, fans. If you're long-time fans or listeners of this show, it has been quite a few months since our last record. Now we've had periods where we've been away for a bit. We've never really been able to get any kind of regular schedule going on. But this is hopefully, much like we're in a new era at time of recording in the in the WWE landscape in uh, mid-August, we're recording this. We're hopefully going to be in a slightly different era with, uh, let me tell you something, we're still going to take on the core principle of discussing facets of the wrestling industry, not being so much about the up-to-date, reflecting on what the products are like in the moment, more just general aspects of wrestling. We'll talk about individual wrestlers, their histories, we'll talk about facets, we'll talk about certain kinds of matches, we'll talk about uh, certain uh, historical implement, uh, historical uh, elements of wrestling. But what we are changing is the format of our recording patterns because we have given up on Skype. Skype has just not let us down so much. Maybe our maybe our own individual internet connections have let it down as much as anything else. But we are now face to face as we speak. Uh, I will once a month probably be visiting once every two months be visiting lovely Leicester. And in return, Simon once every two months will take a trip to beautiful Birmingham to do actual... We're probably going to two double-header recordings, I think. Or maybe maybe triple-headers, depending on how we feel like it. We might go for an hour on Broadway. We we'll, might, we'll yeah. play it by ear. Yeah, we'll play it by ear. But we're going to actually be in the same room discussing it. And so, again, recording... We're recording this off of a microphone. The room that we're in is very bare, and it might be quite echoey. But we're still so we're still trying to get t- to grips on that. But I think it should be a better audio experience over time mm. as we get better at this in in general. Would you agree with that, Simon? I mean, definitely. Uh, the face to face aspect is a lot better, even though I have had to get dressed for this, which yeah. is just a new experience for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm usually doing when we're talking. Simon. <laughs> I really should stop now. We're right in front of you, but yeah, I just can't. <laughs> Just, just put it away, look. All right, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so that is the basic introductions out of the way, and we're going to go back to talking about a facet of professional wrestling, and at the time of recording, I think was one of the significant reasons behind us discussing this facet, because in the past we've talked about elimination matches, we've talked about steel cage matches. This is another regular feature within the world of professional wrestling, and in this summer of 2016, it's been very prominent. And that is what, Simon? It's tournaments. Um, currently in the midst... Well, we've, as we record, we've just finished one tournament yes, in Japan. The G1 Climax. And we are starting on the second round uh, in terms of TV time, of course, on the Cruiserweight Classic. Yep, and also many independent promotions have, in recent months or in future months, in, you know, in, a, in a few weeks' time, we'll be having the... Battle of Los Angeles, a PWG show that covers a whole weekend. Yeah. And so it's been a constant in wrestling history. Um, but it seems maybe more prominent now than ever, like you say. The, mm. the Cruiserweight Classic might be the start of a new tradition within the WWE, who before then had had King of the Ring, which was recently discussed when uh, one Wade Barrett, who was the brought last King of the Ring win- winner, brought it back. And he said mm. that it was a very slapdash uh, situation yeah. there wasn't really any great follow up well the final wasn't even on television well it was a WWE Network, Network special, special so yeah. it, was a, it was. I think it was just a means of pushing it more towards the WWE Network than it was trying to do something with, with the King of the Ring format 
Um, I suppose maybe for a lot of fans, because you, you get introduced to wrestling, the majority of the time if you're of European or British, the, the Britain, well, yeah, that is different now. European and British, unfortunately, is a different thing. Yeah. Or if you're American, Western fans, you would have probably been introduced to tournaments maybe through the King of the Ring if you're of a certain age. That was certainly the first big event tournament that I... I'd seen a few tournaments on... I remember there was a tournament in uh, the NWA, WCW, for the NWA World Tag Team titles in 1992 when I started getting to watch WCW Worldwide on ITV. Uh, that was interesting. But as far as an annual tournament, the first one that I was exposed to was the King of the Ring, which started... Which had actually existed back in the 80s and 90s as a special house show... Uh, event until 1993 where they actually made it uh, the fifth pay-per-view so it became sort of big five but it never quite reached the importance of a Wrestlemania Royal Rumble SummerSlam or Survivor Series Mm. Um, but is that the same with you Simon was that the first tournament you can ever remember watching definitely I I think King of the Ring came into prominence in my mind this was around the time I was aware of wrestling but I wasn't a full-fledged fan would be when Brock Lesnar had his King of the Ring moment mm-hmm. and that was the last pay-per-view King of the Ring version uh, because after that it was the roster split and I suppose they wanted to keep it mm. for pay-per-views because then if you had a fifth one then that kind of messes up the what was at the time the monthly pay-per-view schedule that would have meant there would have been seven pay-per-views um, which, which were brand which, exclusive which, yeah, which were brand exclusive so one brand would have got four one brand would have got three and so you I know imagine, that would have been smacked yeah so I imagine that must, must have been the thinking behind them because around that time mm. the next year in 2003 was when you had Vengeance uh, and Bad Blood which were the first Raw Smackdown exclusive pay-per-views so yeah. I guess the brand, one of the things that happened with the roster split was the abandoning of the King of the Ring uh, tournament to an extent, although it did live on in SmackDown. Of course, it was yes. the launch of the King Booker character. They resurrect. They would resurrect it from time to time. They brought it for King Booker. They brought it for William Regal, and they gave it to Sheamus, and they gave it to Wade Barrett. Um, it was. I think the problem they always had with the King of the Ring was they didn't crack the formula of it actually until the final King of the Ring in two thousand and two where Brock Lesnar winning that also gave him a WWF championship, a WWE championship Mm. shot at SummerSlam. So that would have made the King of the Ring the summer equivalent of the Royal Rumble. And now they kind of have that with the money in the bank being the thing that's setting up summer-long storylines. A a storyline that might might carry over the summer. It's the coronation moment Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it, it, traditionally the King of the Ring was usually shown as a sign to be giving someone not necessarily the big push, but a big push. Mm. With 93, it was kind of consolidating Bret Hart's position after he'd lost the WF title and it had gone to Hulk Hogan and they were obviously trying to... They were going different ways. They weren't sure where they wanted to go, but they wanted to keep Bret strong after WrestleMania. So they gave him three really big wins at that pay-per-view. That's a, that's a little underrated pay-per-view. That's a hidden gem if you want to watch something on the WWE Network check out the King of Ring 93 where he goes through Razor Ramon who's a tough guy brawler then he has a technical match with Mr. Perfect maybe some argue better than their classic at SummerSlam 91 and had different sort of babyface babyface um, dynamic to it and then he took on the uh, large super heavyweight Bam Bam Bigelow in the finals so it was three different styles he, remember in the book he said he was told he had to have Three different non-sharpshooter finishes. 
Um, and, and it told a good story throughout the event of Brett. He has his fingers broken in the first round against Reyes Ramon, so that means he can't do the sharpshooter. So he has to go through different ways of getting victories, and they're through pinning combinations or reversals or something like that. Because Bret Hart was always brilliant at that side, mm. sort of uh, psychology. You know, I'm I'm never gonna find a way to not big up Bret Hart in my <laughs> uh, in my uh, discussions around the man. I mean, that, that's that's you've touched on a good point that tournaments gave us give us as well is you get that storyline within. An event storyline, mm. uh, kind of akin to Daniel Bryan have to, having to get past Triple H to then get to the main event of WrestleMania 30. Yeah, I don't think they play that up enough, actually, in a lot of tournaments. Uh, it, it kind of goes more for the sports angle of wrestling, which is why I think it became so popular on the indie, smart mark-friendly side of the scene, where they're trying to incorporate the Japanese sporting element mm. to it because when you think sports you think tournaments we're in the middle of the Olympics as we yeah. as we speak and not all of them are knockout but they're, they're essentially knockout tournaments of, of a different kind you know you've got boxing where it's one on one single elimination or, whereas you've got athletics for more kind of a qualification but it's still ultimately football, one person you've football, you've got, football you've got group stages uh, which has never really caught on in the States which we'll get to in, in a second but um, I don't think that's something that's played up enough. I think it's something you can play up more. I, well, another example of a good storyline, I suppose, was when William Regal was a commissioner and basically um, weighed the field in his favour to win the King of the Ring. He put him up, put himself up against Hornswoggle, and then he had uh, the great Carly just beat up and get disqualified in the quarterfinals against Finley, I think it was, and then Regal was, mm. I was getting an easy one, and then he beat CM Punk in the final because CM Punk had been more exhausted by his matches. But... It's a weird thing, actually, because tournaments kind of take the opposite form of what they should do a lot of the times. Because if you're getting more and more exhausted as an event's going on, then surely your matches should be getting shorter. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of tournaments, they finish the, the, the first round matches and that don't go long because they want to keep the guy fresh enough that he can have a big, long match. Really, it should be the opposite, which is yeah. something that they actually did... I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to hold this conversation too, too but in whenever you feel like it. Uh, in Progress's Strong Style 16 mm. uh, tournament in, um, this year, where Mark Andrews and Chris Hero's final match is only like five or six minutes sprint, yeah. which is what it should be, but traditionally it's like the longest match of the... Well, it feels like it's building up to a crescendo, and, and so that one has to be better than any yeah, of the other Yeah, it's one of those weird distortions of realism, because yeah. you want your pay-per-view from a wrestling standpoint to finish with a the, the most exciting exhilarating match which requires time yeah however if you look at boxing's prize fighters you see finals where a guy comes out with half of his face swollen he, mm. he's a mess mm. you know one shot he's going down yeah exactly they don't they rarely incorporate that into tournaments I mean if we look at the Cruiserweight Classic they're not because it's being stretched out over like 12 episodes or something yeah. there's no real sense of it happening in one moment in one day and there being an exhaustion level mm. because it's not but they don't there's no real sense of time passing in that yeah. show as weird as it sounds it's it's they, very it's like within its own self-contained reality because mm. as far as I know I mean 
They've recorded the second rounds. Have they recorded they recorded the quarterfinals at this stage or not? I've I, actually been rarely for once kept myself spoiler free on something involving wrestling. I mean, that's the reason I don't know whether they recorded the yeah, quarterfinals yeah, yeah. or not because the one time I tried to check something on the Cruiserweight Classic, I very nearly saw a spoiler. So yeah, I've yeah. been avoiding it like the plague ever since. It's weird with the Cruiserweight Classic because they mention exhaustion in other ways. Yeah, uh, Alejandro Saez in his match mm. against uh, Grand Metalik, they mentioned the amount of weight he had to mm. cut. But just to get back to the time thing as well, like uh, in the first round matches, they're all finished in about six or seven minutes. Mm. And then it's only the reason. only reason for that is because they have to fit four episodes into four matches into, into a show. It. Whereas now we've had our first a ton of recording. We've had our first second round matches, which were and like they were twice as long. The only reason that they're twice as long non-kayfabe is that it's a, it's a TV show mm. that they can stretch it out longer but there's no reason that like it well, doesn't seem the only one that went long was Tommaso Ciampa against Johnny Gargano which was kind of main eventing that first round that, that, that was the longest one in the first round I mean um, Alexander Ibushi that, that was a reasonably long match yeah, yeah, yeah. considering the format I think that was second round though. that was true I think one of the reasons that they could get away with saying second with from a kayfabe viewpoint that second round matches could go longer though is that you're getting people the week well not the, the, the week from the chaff the, the, the chaff yeah the, the, the wheat's been separated from the chaff yeah there we go the wheat because it's not the week because it implies the week <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's it's that's oh, quick digression something I found out the other day curry favour do you know why that's called curry favour no. It was originally called Curry Favel because it was referencing the king or the prince's <laughs> favourite horse, Favel. And people would try to get like in the good books of the prince or the king by you know combing with a curry brush their horse Favel. But Curry Favel, gradually people forgot what it was, so that gradually Favel got got replaced by Favour. Yeah. This is the kind of wonderful little stories and facts that you never need to know that I'm going to completely derail Simon when he was making a valid point on. Yes, um, so the wheat <laughs> was... Except, oh uh, yeah, that's how we got there, the wheat from the chaff. The wheat had been separated from the chaff, so you are going to expect more competitive matches. Mm. Same. It's kind of like how Andy Murray can get through someone in three straight sets, but then when he goes up against Djokovic, it's over five. Yeah, yeah. exactly, that, that kind of principle. So that's, I suppose, one way that they could present it, because the Cruiserweight Classic to touch on your earlier point is being very much presented as a sporting yes, contest yes there's like I, I honestly thought it would be a bit more storyline centric I thought that would be the WWE eyesing of it mm. in that so, like the, the hint seemed to be that Brian Kendrick was going to be kind of the desperate veteran knowing this is his last shot they also implied that with Tyson Dukes with his match with Zack Sabre Jr but none of that really has come across in the matches yet Kendrick I suppose is playing up his experience and his ruthlessness with yeah. the bully with the bully choke as a finisher and kind of um, playing possum on his opponents. But, um, yeah. I mean, the other um, WWE mainstay they had in that, Tajiri, uh, they played up his age. Yeah. Bless him. He, he, he doesn't look as beautiful as he once did. To be fair, he never looked great after he changed his look. He went from really clean cut, good good old boy, clean mm. shaven, to, you know, messed up. That was in the midst of his ECW run. It was a brilliant transformation, actually. But um, they yeah they've they've done it in the same way that uh, I can't even say Ford Super Sunday now because it's not Ford Super Sunday. Nissan Super Sunday do their pre-match hypes. Uh, they they focus on an aspect 
because it it tells a story and it gets an emotional attachment to oh I'm looking forward to seeing this match because of these factors but those factors don't influence the match itself it's very much a detached form of storyline yes and it also can be a bit of a stopgap I think oftentimes on Raw when they don't really have a storyline to go with maybe at the end of one story world for the world title they need to get to another one so as a stopgap they'll do a little knockout tournament over one episode yeah. or two episodes I mean most obvious one being on the first episode of Raw they needed this new title so immediately they put up a tournament but they didn't want to stretch it very far so it's over within the first night you know Seth mm. Rollins gets a bite through to the finals and Finn Balor causes a semi-shock victory over Roman Reigns uh, and again that's it presenting it as more of a sporting um, spectacle yeah uh, and it's, they it's, 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 it's to an end goal and that end goal being a prize mm. which is what sports is all about um, and they had the same with Gold Rush, which was like their televised version of going for a WWE title shot. I think it's when the draft had happened and one brand, I think SmackDown was briefly without a champion at yes, all. Yes, yes. Before the pay-per-view where one of the brand belts was brought back to SmackDown. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was when uh, Batista in the last minute was drafted to SmackDown. And yeah. Had the SmackDown champion. The rumour I've heard about the Universal title, this will be out of date by the time it goes up probably, is that it's basically going to be the same design as the WWE World title, but with like a red outlay, sort of leather, and, and the, well not necessarily the leather even, but it's like going to have sort of red jewels or something, and the World Heavyweight title will be changed to blue. Um, but that's, that's for another, we, we do want to do an episode about belt design, mm-hmm. so maybe we'll save that for another discussion. But that's just a... Oh. Another interesting aspect to it. It's something that they always do. Like a new title comes into yeah. into existence, they almost always hold the tournament because again it's about raising prestige that people are competing against one another in a sporting environment. Well the, the, and because I think that the WWE in tradition has preferred to go down a storyline route is why the King of the Ring was never really given enough focus on at times. They kind of never really I don't think Vince McMahon has ever been that into tournaments. Maybe because the first pay-per-view he ever put on was the Wrestling Classic Tournament, and that was a bit of a flop. Uh, it, it could have um, spoiled his view of tournaments, that. In terms of tournaments, as a great way to build prestige of a title. I mean, look at how Pat Patterson, in storyline oh, yes, of course. won the Going to Rio de Janeiro to <laughs> win a tournament of that nature. Um, but I think tournaments, from storyline point of view... I think one of the reasons they maybe dropped off is it's something you have to put a lot of time and care into. Mm. Which, since King of the Ring fell by the wayside after Brock Lesnar, uh, they didn't have another tournament. That is their only major yeah. tournament. Apart from that brawl for all debacle, which he never went back yeah. to. Well, I think also a problem with that is variables. Because if you look at the King of the Ring, it was always either an eight-man tournament or a four-man tournament. And WWE is so storyline driven, and it's the soap opera aspect to it. Now, there's so many dynamics within a. There's only potential dynamics within a tournament. What does a. There was a difference between a Val Venus and a Rikishi semi final in the King of the Ring 2000 than there would have been if it had been an Eddie Guerrero against Chris Benoit semi final in 2000. Um, that's probably a bad example because the 2000 King of the Ring tournament actually did have that great potential with all the different characters. But when, you, when you're going into a, 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 a pay-per-view, the only things you can really sell are the quarter-finals or the semi-final matches because you can't really... You can't, it's too complicated to try and make 
like all the different variants of potential storylines other than other than we both want the same title yeah. and that's sometimes a bit too simplistic for wrestling fans to really care to be emotionally invested in do you know where I'm coming from because because the King of the Ring itself was never mm. was was the ends it wasn't a means to a future ends of a world title shot like winning the Royal Rumble was you're selling the Royal Rumble on all these guys want to win Wrestlemania King of the Ring you, you were always selling it on these guys all want to be king and you're kind of like well why it doesn't seem to make a huge amount of a difference in, the, in, the, in the short term it might be saying something for the long term like yeah. Austin winning it in 96 was actually a, a result of Triple H and the curtain call and Triple H was supposed to win it so they didn't really have great plans with Austin Austin didn't Austin 316 didn't really kick off with him saying you're king of the ring it kicks off with his storyline with Bret Hart which was like four or five months after that and the King of the Ring aspect of it was never really brought up. Mm. It was used. It was used well with Owen Hart in '94, trying to get, uh, trying to match Brett with everything that Brett can do. I can do better. Um, and then you had, uh, but then Mabel won it, which was just kind of a mate like the wins of Mabel, Triple H, Ken Shamrock, Billy Gunn, Kurt Angle to an extent, Edge to an extent was more of a we have stock in this guy in the future, but we're not sure where it's going yet. And that's part of the issue, because to bring it back to title bouts just a second to yep. start off my point. So, Why do people compete for title bouts to be a champion? Yeah. Why does the belt matter, though? Because of the nature of the belt, of the of the matches that are fought for the belt. That's what improves prestige. Yeah, it symbolises who's the best. Or it, yeah. The world title does. I don't know. I was never entirely sure what the European title meant. It didn't mean you were like... Number three in the pecking order. Yeah. Because I always used to say in WCW that if you were the United States champion, that automatically makes you number one contender for the world title. Mm. And very often the US champion would get a title shot at some point for the world title. The Intercontinental title was... It used to be presented back in the back yeah. in the uh, 80s and early 90s. As, as Brett and Sean said, it was kind of a worker's belt. The, the perfects. And, and it was kind of a cruiserweight belt, but not really. Just like... WWF's equivalent of cruiserweights where they were about six foot three and two hundred and thirty pounds, as opposed to six foot seven and three hundred and ten pounds. <laughs> exactly, it's um, it's and one of those things. It kind of lost its way there, I suppose, after a while. And it's still, and that's the point. Yeah, the point is that we're when there's a a tournament would only work in wrestling if there's a clearly defined prize. Mm. Now, King of the Ring at the start had a clearly defined prize. You know, you got a title shot somewhere down the line. Not necessarily. But in some years. In some, some years, years you did. In some years you did, but in other years it was just kind of, a, you know, Billy Gunn didn't get any world title shots yeah. out of it. He got, a, he got to feud with The Rock and then he lost to him and then he was just buried and by 2001, Edge turned Billy Gunn into a verb. He said, I will not Billy Gunn this, this King of the Ring <laughs> title win. Um Again, it was, it was ill-defined. Sometimes mm. they would get crowned, sometimes they'd get a trophy, sometimes they wouldn't get any of that, and they'd just kind of slink off to the back afterwards, you know? So that, and, that's, and that was the problem with the King of the Ring, that's why it's fallen out of favour. I, I think Vince likes tournaments. It's not fallen out of fable. Fable? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I think Vince likes tournaments uh, to an extent, because it's... I think he sees them as a means to an end. I don't it's, think he gets a kick out of them like maybe we do as, like... Yeah. wrestling matches nerds who are mm. into wrestling matches where the story is who's the better man because on paper not, not the story is like you slept with my girlfriend yeah. or whatever the sort of storylines that Vince might like because on paper it's something 
it, it's a very Vince slash capitalist slash Reaganist thing. <laughs> King of the mountain. I am the best. Well, I, that's TNA. That's TNA. <laughs> yeah, I, I got King. I am King of the Ring because I have beaten all these people. I have proven my worth. Mm. Very American dream esque as well. Yeah, yeah, you got that. Um, but let's and also. Let, let, let's move on to a separate point though which is the sporting angle of it and the prize as a means to an end I think one of the big things that really pushed tournaments hard was the indie wrestling boom or the indie wrestling explosion of the early 2000s that post ECW world mm. where no one could really promotions couldn't hold on to their one guy their local you know their their, their core roster they were kind of sharing these wrestlers around it was a talent pool it was a, there was a wide talent pool and a lot of promotions would hold annual tournaments and still do hold annual tournaments but they'll usually fork out a bit more and bring in guys that don't necessarily come, across, come in that often uh, because so much of their business was through DVD sales and you can't sell ongoing storylines so much over 12, 13, 14, 20 shows a year not everyone's going to be willing to fork out that kind of money, but if you're going to buy one, if you buy one Chikara series a year, you probably buy King of Trios. Mm. If you were to buy one PWG show every year, it's probably the Battle of Los Angeles. If you bought one IWA Mid South, it was the um, Ted Petty Invitational. If you bought one CZW show it was either the best of the best which was the junior heavyweights tournaments or you bought the king of the death match ultraviolence which always took part in took place in like a park somewhere which was always a weird site it was usually like a state where they could get clearance yeah 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 such as the nature of CZW yeah uh, it was also probably easier to clean up, maybe. I don't know. True, potentially. And maybe arenas wouldn't touch it for insurance purposes. So that was the reason. I think the influence for that probably came from, in the 90s, some of the key videos. If anyone bought videos from other shows around the world, what were the key ma- ones they bought? They probably bought like, the King of the Deathmatch tournament one with Cactus Jack. The WWF kind of helped to immortalise yeah. when they were talking about the Mankind Cactus Jack character or maybe if you were like me the first video you bought of Japanese wrestling was the Super J Cup or one of the best of the Super Juniors or one of the G1 Climax tournament uh, videos because it was self-contained story of it's you see it's beginning it's middle and it's end do you think with the rise of internet streaming and accessibility to different things subscription that, services that will that tournaments will be something that wrestling companies will continue to benefit off I think they will continue to benefit off because it, it just gives I think it's a key calendar point of their year yeah. the key to PWG I mean PWG actually don't put on that many shows that's one of the key things about them they keep it very limited they only do about 9, 10, 11 shows a year maybe maybe like they'll have 11 dates and maybe one of those dates will be 3 nights like yeah. Battle of Los Angeles so that extends it to like 14 but they only had so they would always do DDT4 which was their tag team tournament and that would be like January time that was New Year's and then they would have the Battle of Los Angeles which was their key summer point so it was kind of those temp pole things we're getting from here to here Chikara had that with their King of Trios so I think it's just their calling card just like the WWE's calling cards are Royal Rumble WrestleMania SummerSlam I mean, they thought of getting rid of the Survivor Series at one point. It, it came close to circling the drain, which, um, I don't know, I have a nostalgic twinge for a Survivor Series, and I do think the brand extension is going to be the salvation of Survivor Series. It will make it more interesting if that's one of the four events where they all come together. Do they make it, you know, Raw versus SmackDown, or do they make it... 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They, I, I don't know. We'll see as it goes along. But I think one of the, the things that will help enhance the appeal of tournaments and what might lead to tournaments being a mainstay within wrestling beyond the mid-2000s explosion is the internet and the proven success of Lucha Underground. The very point of which is it's something you don't have to commit to every week. It's something you can binge watch and tournaments is very much binge watching. Yeah, I think, I think Lucha Underground more reflects the, the, the Netflix world that we're living in now. I haven't watched any Lucha Underground other than clips, mm-hmm. so I can't speak with any great uh, authority other than I like the presentation of what they're doing. The lighting and the and the you know the um, cut scenes I suppose and and uh, the, the narrative that they're putting across I like how they're doing it and I'd need to watch it to really be able to do give it true justice to talking about it but I mean as far as I'm aware Lucha Underground they have that Royal Rumble style thing but that, I don't know if they've had a tournament not there. a tournament but a knockout tournament but they could do that as like a almost like a, their 24 redemption yeah like a mini series in between two longer seasons or they could have it be a season long yeah. thing as well but it's more the point of a tournament because it has a clearly defined beginning middle and end mm. it's something people who want to watch something and have it have a pretty definitive conclusion can watch and that might attract that some people who watch things like that on Netflix into wrestling mm. hence why it could be something I mean that, that might be part of the thinking behind having the Cruiserweight Classic yeah. it's like here's something that will be clearly defined you don't have to wait years and years and hopefully touch wood because of the small nature of the tournament mm-hmm. there wouldn't be any there won't be any injuries which will hamper a guy's push if you look at someone like uh, Cesaro, for example, fans who have watched the product week in and week out are waiting for the big moment where he gets his, he gets what many people think he deserves, a significant title, a significant push, a place at the top table. With a tournament, you only have to like, you only have to wait a month, a month, maybe two months for the Cruiserweight Classic, sometimes just a night, to go from here are your players in this play. Mm. Here is the end of the play. Mm. And I think the way people watch television now, that could be something companies look to do more of. I think the future. problem you'll have with that is that it needs to be, it's, it, it's paid with good intentions. The reason they put the King of the Ring title on Sheamus was that they wanted to re emphasize that he was a, a solid hand, that he, was, he wasn't going anywhere because he'd kind of fallen down a bit after losing the world title. Uh, after his shock two runs with the title they still want to say this is a player and he's got legit credentials they're not flukes he's beaten mm-hmm. he won a King of the Ring tournament but then they just as is the way with Vince McMahon and the WWE a lot of times they're getting better at it lately but you never know they can fall into old bad habits they just he, he goes lower on the pecking order of importance and therefore it becomes a millstone and, and one of the things I said about Seamus was is he has he got the King of the Ring curse where they were talking about the failed King of the Ring winners, like your Mabels and your Billy Guns, as opposed to what they do usually when they're building up the tournaments, and they're saying, look, Bret Hart won it, look, Owen Hart won it, look, uh, Steve Austin. Austin won it, and he did the you know the Austin 316 promo. Again, it's kind of a re, re, um, 
retrofitting of history to serve a, a, po- a purpose. Mm. Um, but Which I think is part of the problem when mm. you start talking about the King of the Ring Curse and you devalue your own tournament. Yeah, and that's why they didn't bring it back until Barrett, and then Barrett basically fell into the King of the Ring Curse again. With the whole R Truth toilet plunger. Yeah, and I think he got injured as well, didn't he, around that time? Yeah, bless him. He was plagued. Yeah, he was very unlucky. Um, because he could have done some really good stuff with his King Barrett gimmick, you know, and uh, someone said what he should have done when he did the bull hammer. Was that he should have yelled like, off with his head and then bang hit him with the so little things like that. Yeah, he could have which he never incorporated did. that, but you know he used the scepter as a weapon, which was always a good. I mean, we've focused a lot on how the WWE well, produced the tournament. Yeah, I was going to say let's go to when people think tournaments and when people get excited about tournaments. The tournament that they talk about, the granddaddy of all tournaments, I think, is the G One climax. And I think that the reason of that is that the G One climax is very often this coronation of this guy is the next big deal. He is, he's a player now. He's a major player. Just quickly to go back, just before I forget it, because uh, like the Battle of Los Angeles is very good at that as well. Battle of Los Angeles has kind of become a, who's, he's so hot right now. It's like winning the, the model of the year award. Because like 2014 was Ricochet's year. Ricochet wins the Battle of Los Angeles. 2015 was Zack Sabre Jr.'s year. Zack Sabre Jr. wins the Battle of Los Angeles. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they gave it to Will Ospreay this year because he's been the, the talk of the tournament. Maybe they give it to Pentagon Junior. It's it's again it's a kind of a, it's a coronation of mm. sorts, a celebration of an individual. Adam Cole in twenty twelve or twenty thirteen when he won it, yeah twenty twelve and then Kyle O'Reilly in twenty thirteen. It was kind of a it was a, it was a wrestler of the year award, almost a wrestler of the season award. Sort of like ring uh, how the uh, the boxer could win ring the magazine's pan for pan yes, title. Exactly, it was kind of like that. Um, but with the G1 climax, the the intention very often is this is now a gu- this is the guy this is the guy we're pushing, especially since they've now well, one of the problems is that they've now linked it to the Wrestle Kingdom title shots. Problem with that is that could you September October November December of building up storylines in between then, uh, which is a lot harder than building someone up from January through to March for WrestleMania. Yeah, um, and also it's just and I think that limited them that handicapped them a bit in recent years because one of the cool things about the G1 Climax was it was so hard to win that very few people won it more than once whereas in the last two years it was won by Tanahashi and Okada who'd won it before and it suddenly became two time it's the same with the Royal Rumble weirdly after the after the roster split it suddenly really limited who could win the Royal Rumble because there was only one world titles to to go for whereas when it was the brand split you had your Del Rios and your Randy Orton's and your John Cena's and your Batista's and your Rey Mysterio's winning it you're shameless because you could push in usually they they ended up being the world heavyweight title shot and still gave them freedom to do a different main event Um, you're right I mean having all that time does it it narrows what what your options are as opposed to the room whereas what the G1 climax was nearly always was a sign of this guy's going to be a top guy you know it was was Masachono's coming out ceremony basically him and Kijimuto their first final in 91 was like these are the guys and then in the ring they celebrated and they were with uh, Shinya Hashimoto who was the semi-finalist and Chono was always one of the guys, but weirdly the G1 climax kind of became his thing. He, was, he became known as Mr. August. He won it in 91, 92, 94. He reached the finals in 96. But he never won the IWGP title during that time. That was kind of Hashimoto's deal. Okay. Um, so Hashimoto was the guy who would win the world title fights. But 
Chono was kind of a tournament specialist. Much how Michaels became Mr. Yeah. WrestleMania. Yeah, and you kind of got that as well in the later, in the in the mid-noughties when Tenzan, Hiroshi Tenzan, won three out of four G1 climaxes and he became the new Mr. August of sorts uh, because every time he won the heavyweight title, he kind of lost it within the first or second defence of the belts, mm. which always sort of undermined him and he never really reached the heights that he maybe could have, but he will always have those three G1 climaxes but other than that it was always it was that crowning achievement it was when um, when Sasaki won it in 97 then very soon after he won the IWGP title uh, Nakanishi won it in 99 that was kind of like, he never quite reached the full potential but that was a statement okay this is the next guy uh, Nagata winning it in 2001 set up his big run in a few years afterwards um, yeah and, and then and now you've got Kenny Omega, the first ever Gaijin winner. And that is them saying, this guy's even better than AJ Styles. He's even better than uh, Prince, uh, Devitt. Prince Devitt. Or the, the, he's, he went through and, he, and in the storylines, he used their moves. He couldn't finish off his opponents, but he finished them with his move, which was the sign, this guy can do it. This <laughs> guy can go even further. And I'd be shocked if he doesn't win the IWGP heavyweight title sooner or later if they want to keep him because apparently the story is WWE are desperate to sign him as well because you know who wouldn't be the guy's insanely talented and mm. charismatic it's but, them and Ricochet that are, him and Ricochet the world too that they are desperately courting I think Omega has more main event potential than Ricochet Ricochet you could build the cruiserweight division out of no problem but mm. Omega could be a main event talent he's got like, he's got kind of that same Dean Ambrose crazy charisma to him as well sort of slightly eccentric a little bit of Brian Pillman to him too, I suppose, like Dean Ambrose often gets compared to. But it, it, that's what the G1 Climax was, and I think actually one of the reasons why you see... When people always talk about um, the differences between New Japan and All Japan in the, those eras, is that New Japan were always looking to find new talents, and they'd have three or four on the go. Whereas All Japan, if you look at like the Champions Carnival, which was their equivalent, and that existed... Around because these exist these tournaments annual tournaments have existed in Japan since the seventies. Yeah. Uh, all Japan retained the Champions Carnival, but in uh, New Japan it was like it was the World League or it was the IWGP League, which is where the International Wrestling Grand Prix Championships came from. Well, well they sort of did, sort of didn't. That's a debate to be had another day. Um, but it was um, but with the Champions Carnival, if you look at the ones in ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, it was always won by either Masawa, Kawada. Kabashi or Tawei and it never went to like Akiyama or, and Akiyama was basically like the fourth the fifth one that was going to be pushed always went to an established always name always went to established name whereas around that time it was always a different name other than Chono that mm. was winning the G1 Climax and that's another thing that's interesting in New Japan there's a bit more of a, a freedom for guys to lose Okada can lose to Ishii in these tournaments he's, which is basically equivalent to Brick Flair losing to Arn Anderson yeah. and it doesn't hurt them or, or like Shawn Michaels in 98 losing to Triple H or something like that do it you think hurt them. because I think it's also it emphasises the round robin aspects and just as gradual exhaustion and mm. it's, it's a marathon it's not a sprint yeah I was about to touch on that point because they use group stages yes whereas um, all King of the Rings and various formats of tournament in WWE have been Pretty much straight knockout. And people keep trying to push the idea of round robins in the US and the WWE to do a round robin tournament. They've never done that. To my knowledge, the WWE's never held a round robin. Mm. I think they've done a few best of seven series, but they've never held a round robin. And people don't. People say they should do that, they should do that. But this is one of the key things. In Japan, there is a historical tradition of 
um, round robin tournaments because it takes the inspiration from the sumo tournaments which are round robins and they have these opening ceremonies where they carry these sashes is Japan following Japanese tradition so whenever the indies like to do that opening ceremony and they all pose for, with the trophy or something at the start yeah, it's not really mimicking American culture I mean, they even did it with the Cruiserweight Classic, actually, that little Facebook special where they introduced them all. Bracketology. The Bracketology event and everything like that. Um, so, it's and again, it's like, maybe you don't get the historical context, because in America, they because American sports, because so, America's such a big country, mm. they do have round robins, but it's a lot more complicated than that. They, they, they play, you know, the, 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 the league season is then playing local conference games, but also occasionally travelling out and playing other teams. But it's not like in Britain where it's everyone plays everyone home and away once. Yeah. Uh, or like all of Europe because it's a bit more self-contained. In America, you can't be expected to go everywhere for just one game. Mm. You know, in, in all those different ones. They're in local conferences. Like, and uh, then it's a knockout playout, playoff system. Of course, in America, they also have the NCAA tournaments, which are probably the most famous tournaments. They have the big ones and they have the bracketologies there. You know, there's like billion dollar prizes if people can get the whole NCAA. Bracketology is at the heart of... American, American sport culture and because you're right the way they run their leagues is you're not just playing people in your league yeah. as weird as that sounds NFL does the same yeah. uh, MLS as you pointed to uh, does, does the same hockey same baseball same NBA yeah. And they're, Fairly sure and they're the also in, in baseball they're playing the same team like three or four times in a row that's because of the distance that you mentioned yeah. you travel that far you're not travelling that far and for also, one game. and here's the one time that they ever tried to do round robin tournaments really seriously in America other than the future shock tournaments in at Starcade 89 which was not a very good event specifically because they all had to kind of hold it back and they went through all these weird that's another thing it's like awkward uh, maths that you have to work around and they want to keep people strong and mm. I think in America there is a bit more of a stigma to losing than there is in Japan. That was part of the problem when TNA did the Bound when for they Glory did the series. Bound Glory series because first of all they made it ridiculously elaborate with all the point systems, and then they undermined themselves by having these special like ladder matches which were for thirty five points yeah. or whatever, and so it kind of it took you out of it. They went to all that trouble of creating this elaborate structure and then pissed that structure away pretty yeah. quickly. And also because of that, it also shot them in the foot because they had Jeff Hardy win it. And then he beat Austin Aries, and it completely cut the legs from under Austin Aries, who just had this great natural evolution of him becoming a main event star and winning the title off Bobby Roode, because they knew they had to go with it, but then they cut him off, because if you've gone through such an elaborate means of winning the, the Bound for Glory series, you've got to win it, otherwise what were the, we've got to win the title at the end of it, otherwise what was the point of the last three months of storylines? So, the natural progression to the natural question that progresses from the point we've just made would be, in terms of what we would call the classic wrestling company, and how WCW used to run a company with a weekly television show, what would be the best format of tournament, storyline-wise? Well, I think it's it's, it's simple knockout tournament structure. uh, If I was to do the King of the Ring, I would do Tournament 16... The first round and second rounds over Raw and Raw's or SmackDowns over the period, and have the semi-finals and the final be on a pay-per-view because you can play up the endurance element. Still, they have to do two matches, which they but it did. gives them a decent length of time. And also, it's a lot easier to get dynamics between four different wrestlers that can have a different. You know, you can have them in the ring, and then you you have a sense of 
that's a character dynamic, that's a character dynamic, that's a character dynamic. Three potential character dynamics. They had that really well, actually, in 2001, where the tournament was Edge, Christian, Kurt Angle, and Rhino. Yeah. So it was, you know, the, these guys that all had a history with each other. Am I misremembering that, or was Rhino in the 2001 semi? I know Edge, Christian, and Kurt Angle were. Edge and, yeah, because it was Edge, Kurt Angle final, I believe. Yes, 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 and I know Christian was in the semis as well, and that was what led to them breaking up. Because Christian got jealous Envious of Edge's, Edge's Weird. Again, using it as a logical point, and then it also, you know, Edge... And Edge did make that natural progression over time, but it was more the King of the Ring as a statement and as means to an end, to mm. be uh, the crux of Edge and Christian breaking up. So that was the King of the Ring serving a purpose really well. It's weird, like I said, 2001, 2002, they f- and 2000 as well, really, because Kurt Angle wins the King of the Ring, and that's just part of his amazing first year as a wrestler. Yeah. So in their last three years, they got it really right, and then they had to kind of kill it off through its own mm. unfortunate means. I mean, I guess if King of the Ring was to come back, mm. what how I would do it is you have eight slots for SmackDown, eight slots for Raw, mm. and you've got to qualify for those. So it's basically each brand's champion taking on... Well, each brand is... Or would you oh, do it like... I'll do it where... Because in 2002, they had Raw v SmackDown, Raw v SmackDown semi-finals and an all-Raw final. Something like that. Mm. Um, where basically, maybe to the point where you get to the... So you'd have one side of the draw. What you could do... Right, this, this sounds convoluted. What you could do is have the round of 16 be all... One side all SmackDown. Yeah. One side all Raw. So you get down to eight... And uh, same again. And when you get to four, put them in like a, ran- a random, in quote marks, generator. generator. And that somehow gives us a raw SmackDown, or it maybe doesn't, depending yeah. on what they want to do each year. And that's, then that's an interesting way of doing it. I think the logical way would be that you would want a raw SmackDown final, but then do yeah. you undermine the brand that loses? But to be honest, whenever they did it into brand matches, nearly always SmackDown won because they felt like they always needed the leg up from Raw. Which so uh, they won bragging rights two in a row, they won yeah. the Survivor Series match. Uh, with Shawn Michaels and and, and, all, and, and the JBL, was that Randy? No, that was a different one. That was Team uh, Bischoff versus Team uh, Team Austin. Team Austin. No, he won that one. But he, 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 he also won the other one as well. Yeah, because right. Orton is Mister Survivor Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and that was when the Undertaker came back and like wiped out the entire SmackDown after roster. having been burnt alive yeah, like, the previous like the third time. Yeah. <laughs> Really, we've got to think of something new. Maybe we could freeze him to death. The other way of it. <laughs> but the dead are already cold. Do you oh, not think? <laughs> he's got to buy, get out of everything, the Undertaker, <laughs> you sneaky fox. <laughs> I would love that. Someone needs to call the Undertaker a sneaky <laughs> fox on TV. <laughs> he's got red hair. Wow, I don't think they want to draw attention. But it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, like uh, Now, like you were saying, with this subscription model... That lends itself to the league format maybe quite well because people a lot of people basically only rent out NJPW World maybe for the best of the Super Juniors and the G1 Climax and the Wrestle Kingdom months mm. because they know they're going to get a lot of value for money with that because they're going to get like 30, 40, 50 significant matches yeah. and you know some of the five star matches of this year or the most talked about matches of this year have been Osprey against Ricochet, Osprey against Taguchi. Uh, Ishii against Okada, Omega against uh, Naito, Omega's final against Goto. These are like the ones that we're talking mm. about as five-star matches for this year. Because again, a very simple storyline. They both need to win. Because if they win, then that means they get 
a big prize. I'll, I'll throw one more onto that. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I'd, I'd put Alexander. Yeah, I would put that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of a coming out party for both of them. Mm. Um, so we'll see what the WWE goes. Maybe, maybe because they like to experiment with these things. Maybe in a subscription model, maybe a round robin tournament could work. Maybe not with uh, cruise weights. Maybe they could do it with tag teams or something like that. Well, they did the Dusty Rhodes Classic. Yes, uh, they could that have was a straight that. knockout. I hope they do that again because it's coming up. It wouldn't be a bad idea at a time when the NXT roster might become further and further depleted with the few that they have. Mm. A way of stretching it out would be a round-robin format. I wouldn't be against it. I'm not saying Americans are incapable of doing a round-robin tournament because they never get them. But it's just it can make someone look really bad if you've lost like three or four in a row. Or you can make that your thing like they've done with Honma in Japan where he went winless uh, a couple of years ago and everyone was desperate for him to win one. So that became a new storyline within itself. Sort of like a serious Gilbert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically. And he's gradually been able to pick up... He picked up one victory last year. He picked up two in a row this year. And it was like, oh my God, he's going to win the whole thing! <laughs> That's sort of how through seasons you see like a Premier League team rise at the table. Also, another thing that they do with the G1 Climax and the, and the Best of the Super Juniors and all of the Japanese promotions, really, is they very often like to import talent to bulk up the roster mm. and very often you've got that outsider invader angle to it and very often the outside force will reach the final and maybe lose like Tanahashi reached the final of the Champions Carnival one year Nagata did I think Nagata actually won it that year to emphasise he was doing a whole invasion storyline there mm. uh, in New Japan you had Akiyama reaching the final against Tenzan in 2003 Kojima was still with All Japan when he faced uh, Tenzan in 2006 I think um, and, and best of super juniors very often would have you know all these guys coming in from Michinoku Pro and, and it would help them build them up as well if they could reach the final uh, or, or uh, as in recent years actually win the whole thing but it's interesting actually you're seeing New Japan kind of opening itself up a bit more to outsiders because this year the, the two big New Japan tournaments were won by a Brit and a Canadian mm. You know, uh, uh, very rarely in the nineties, it was always the, the the homegrown talent that ended up coming out on top. You know, it was always Liger or Sasuke or Chono or Muto. I think that's just wrestling Shimoto. itself becoming more international. Yeah, well, it's opening itself up, and the, the, the cruiserweight classic is another example of the WWE opening themselves up. Mm. And I wouldn't, I, you know, as uh, you know, we're talking ahead of time, but when the cruiserweight division comes. I don't think it would be a bad idea, and I don't actually think they'd be as against it as you ever thought they would be, of actually bringing in like guest talents who'll be on Raw for maybe a month storyline against their Cruiserweight champion. I think... And then they go away and they can come... Like, you could bring in Ricochet, and just bring him in for like a month to feud with Gargano or whoever it is that they have as their standard bear. Uh, well, they, they've done that recently, and I, I think that might have been the experiment mm. that... Um, Paved the way to the Cruiserweight Classic when Tyler Breeze fought Justin Liger yes. a year ago. That was the first sign of them opening up a bit more. It's, mm. it's exciting. Like I, I think I've come across as very negative on this over the years, and I'm still look. I still don't have faith that the WWE, as long as it's run by Vincent and will ever reach the peak of its potential, because I think George, I think Vincent Man is George Lucas. I think he's incapable of fully understanding why he was a success in the first place or he doesn't understand the modern fan base as well but the the points that they've gone to at the moment if they could just sort out their storyline stuff then the WWE could be as good as it's ever been and I honestly think that this year for all the shit things that have happened in the world in 2016 
I think this has been a golden year for wrestling in general on mm. a worldwide scale. More stuff's available to us, more great matches are being had. We've had a renaissance of the British wrestling scene that's just... More wrestlers in work overall. More wrestlers are in work. You've got more access to it. You can subscribe to New Japan World, uh, High Spots, uh, Progress, ICW, WWE Network. You can get Ring of Honor free. Yep. Lucha Underground, all through, you know, different means. Mm. It's never been a better time to be a wrestling fan than it is right now. All the cool podcasts and everything like that. You can... And which we were hoping to be a part of. And, Although I think cool is not. A word and I think some of these, and some of these, and, and it's through events like the ever increasing importance and popularity of the Battle of Los Angeles. It's you know progress already making the Strong Star Sixteen a very significant event on the wrestling calendar within two years. Mm. It is people getting to watch the G One climax on the night instead of having to wait months for tapes to come in, yeah. as you used to back in the day. And they're even having English commentaries on the last few nights if you want to go that way. I sometimes prefer to watch it with Japanese commentary. Um, and I think tournaments are a big part of that. And I think it is kind of that smart fan that loved tournaments in the early 2000s. They're kind of... As the smart culture is becoming more permeated mm. into wrestling, hopefully not dominating it, but becoming a key voice, we'll see more of these great events like the Cruiserweight Classic. And we'll, see, and we'll be having great Battle of Los Angeles tournaments well into like 2020. And there'll be more and more young talent that watches this stuff and grows even more into it, you know? No, I think the tournament is going to be quite significant as a concept in a few years to come. It will never die. No. You can always... I think you, are, like, you are presenting a sport as a form of entertainment, and when you think sport, you think tournaments. Yeah. I think, if anything, it's going to grow, as, as you say, over the next five years. I think there might be an increase in tournaments. Uh, I think it might be an increase in the popularity of certain tournaments. I don't think that means that I think there were lots of tournaments back in the day on the indie scene to the point that it got a bit lousy. Yeah. And in 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 the actual definition of the world, where there's too much of it, I think we might be heading towards that. We might get the wheat coming through from the chaff as (laughs) far as tournament goes. Because actually, just a quick shout out before we end it: if you want to see where this all comes from, you just look at the ECWA Super Eight tournament, which was kind of the precursor. That was kind of the John the Baptist to this all. Where guys like Loki, Christopher Daniels, uh, even Ace Darling, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, just look that up. That's all for you to do when you when you're off this. Google wants you doing this. Google the ECWA Super Eight tournaments. Still going on to this day, and that's kind of a great a great starting point if you want to learn the history of the indie scene. Then the ECWA Super Eight tournament was probably is probably a really good one to go to. But that was a quite quick footnote. We're about to reach the hour point on this. And what we're going to do finally is discuss our Mount Rushmore tournaments. So that's what we're going to go with tournaments, not tournament matches. We're going to go with tournaments themselves. The concept. So do you want to go first, Simon, or would you like me to go first? I'll let you go first. Okay. The three, I've gone for four, and I'm going to go with... First one I'm going to go with is the 1993 King of the Ring. As I've said, it was a self-contained story. Bret Hart, you know, fighting through injury, fighting through adversity... You also got Tanker and Lex Luger fighting to a 50-minute draw. It was a dull match, but it was an interesting storyline within it of Lex Luger trying to establish himself as a new character. You had Bam Bam Bigelow getting the bye, and therefore that worked into the idea of him being fresher against a, a, a more hardened, a more battle-worn Bret Hart as it reached the final. Just really good matches for the most part, or short and sweet matches with you know Miss Perfect Miss Hughes, and just... It's an interesting example of what the WWE was looking like after so much talent had left. Like I always said, the 92 Royal Rumble and the 93 Royal Rumble are a real stark comparison of where the promotion had gone 
in that year of, of exiting talent. But it was still, it was now maybe focusing more on the wrestling aspect of it as Bret Hart's influence was starting to permeate into wrestling because that was also the last time we saw Hulk Hogan on TV for nine years in the WWE. So King of the Ring 93. Of all the G1 climaxes, I've chosen to go with 2013 because that was the one that had the most stars in it. This was at the time that people were really starting to get into New Japan again. It was kind of this refreshed golden age of, of, of New Japan we're into now with Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, AJ Styles, Minoru Suzuki, you know, the match that Styles and Suzuki had that got five stars. Um, so that was the one I went with. It was tough because there's been so many great ones, but I went with the 2013 G1 Climax. As I've said already, the Super J Cup 94, that's kind of the definitive junior heavyweight um, style that is again so important now in, in the independent scene of wrestling. Again, it's kind of like it's the Super J Cup ninety four is like the velvet on the ground of Nico of professional wrestling. Everyone that they always said that everyone that bought the velvet on the ground of Nico went on to form bands. Mm. So everyone, every guy that got the Super J Cup ninety four either went on to become a wrestler and work in Ring of Honor and PWG and all them, lot, or they became a, an online. Wrestling you know, fan. nerd and, and those sort of things. It was kind of like that's your credentials, you know. Have you got? There's certain things you have to do. That's like a theory oh, driving okay. test. That's right, what the right. Super J Cup '94 is. And no Super J Cup '94, no Cruiserweight Classic. And TJ Perkins directly compared it the two in the Bracketology mm-hmm. special. Um, and also, I've gone for all the battle. I've wanted to go with an indie one, and I've okay. gone for last year's Battle of Los Angeles 2015 because that also emphasised. It was another one of those signs of this golden age of one of wrestling because it brought in the, so many British wrestlers. You had Marty Skrull, you had uh, Zack Sabre Jr., you had Will Ospreay before he really broke out over the course of the next year. Was and Mark then Andrews in that? No, uh, yes, he was. Yes, he was. Mark Andrews as well. I mean, they're bringing even more in next this year. There's, there's actually going to be more foreign talent than there is native talent in the 2016 Battle of Los Angeles because they're bringing in like um, uh, Pete Dunne, Birmingham's own. Uh, and uh, a, f- a few others on top of that uh, uh, the names are just escaping me at the moment Mark Haskins no more okay. um, but the, um, but in 2015 they also brought in the Lucha Underground guys as well Yeah, and it was just you know just amazing matches and, and, and of different generations as well you had the old guarding guys like Chris Hero and Matt Seidel but you also had some of the youngest up and coming talent like Mike Bailey or Osprey Osprey as well you yeah. know 21, 22 year olds being awesome and also Drew Galloway who's reinventing himself on the indie European scene after being uh, ejected from the WWE so those are the four I've gone with the King of the Ring 93 the 2013 G1 Climax the Super J Cup 94 and the 2015 Battle of Los Angeles Ooh. okay I've gone four uh, the 1996 King of the Ring, Austin okay. 316. Um, More for the significance of that than, than the tournament itself. Although yes. that did have a good storyline going through it of Jake the Snake Roberts at 42 years old trying to redeem one, himself. One last big yeah. win. I've also gone for the King of the Ring. Now this is going to like let me down here. But the King of the Ring of Brock Lesnar won, crowning superstar, sort of like a turbocharged version of Austin. Because... And also the end of that King of the Ring era as well. It's, uh, yeah, and it's like a last hurrah. Mm-hmm. Um, I get very nostalgic about yeah. these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Now I've also gone for now. This is a bit of a controversial one. Okay. But it shows when you, I think, try and over sports sports entertainment how badly it can go. Mm. Brawl for All. Okay. 
Um, that could have made a star out of Bart Gum. If they, they wanted to make a star. You watch that final where he knocks the shit out of Bradshaw. As satisfying as that is in itself, the crowd was reacting. Mm. The crowd did go crazy, and it did make Bart Gunn look like a badass. I, I think it's one of those things where MMA had just come out and they were trying to... Well, it was that, and there was genuine tough man competition. That was what made Bart being famous. You know, it was just a yeah. knockout boxing tournament as well. And my final pick, purely for it, I've gone... For, because we didn't, we didn't really set the parameters of this, so I've gone a bit for a bit more significance-based Brat Mount Rushmore. Um, we brought it up early. It's Kenny Omega's uh, G1 Climax win. Ah, so you've gone for the most recent one possible. The most recent one possible. But it's a Gaijin winning a G1 Climax. Mm, okay. I, I, don't, I don't really need to expand on that. So, we're at an impasse here. You've gone for four different ones, I've gone for four different ones. I would make the case... I can't... Can I just say I did expect this with okay. this one that we'd yeah. be completely different? <laughs> I, I think I would make a case against two of yours... King of the Ring 96 is significant for Austin. The tournament itself isn't that great. There's nothing that memorable about mm. it. Austin does have a good match with Mark Merrow that busts his lip open and it makes him legit tough. But it's more the after effects of Austin than anything else. Same with 2002, I suppose. Brawl for all, if you're going to go with the negative connotations. But again, I don't know that that's about the tournament. I like that you go for a different kind of thing with your Mount Rushmore. But like Mount Rushmore isn't Thomas Jefferson... Uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and George W. Bush. You don't put the shitty one in there to see to offset the good ones, but that, that's utterly down to your interpretation of it. I, I just feel that sometimes you need to have some juxtaposition. Yeah. Oh, here's a quick one before I forget. I think a great tournament they could have in the future. I'm just, this is different to the thing. I think it wouldn't hurt them in a year's time or so to do a Queen of the Ring tournament. That'd be a really good special, I think. When they've got enough depth? They've almost got enough depth. But they're getting... They're, they're almost... They've got like eight women on the rosters now because they've got two separate brands, which I think is a mistake in itself. But that could be an interesting turn. But it, it won't be long. It won't be long away. And it will work. I mean, there was talk of women's money in the bank, so... Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just getting that out before I forget. Yeah. But anyway, back to the, the Mount Rushmore. So yeah, no, I, I, get, I get that uh, you and I view the Mount Rushmore slightly differently, mm-hmm. but that, that is my reason for putting all for all in. And... Okay, is 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 my argument? Is there any of mine that you would get rid of? I would get rid of your Battle of Los Angeles because that that's that's pretty that that that's the exact same junior. I think without him winning that Battle of Los Angeles, would have he been drafted to the Cruiserweight Classic as such a big name as he was? He would so have the been point in that there. everyone's assuming he's reaching the final. Yeah, he would have been in there because I have faith in. William Regal as a talent scout and Robbie Brooks well I mean the CWC has already been a bit of a coming out party for Jack Gallagher mm. um, I think he might because he's also in the Battle of Los Angeles tournament I can see him reaching like the semi-finals or something there I, I love his character as yeah. well it's, 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 it's that so you know what they should do they should have because they're saying the worry is that he's too much like the Vore Villains have him be the Vore Villains muscle I think that'd be brilliant have him be like their China or Diesel with the humour being that he's only like five foot seven, but he's so legit mm. that no one messes with him. I think that'd be awesome. I, yeah, it might work. It might be a bit too hokey. That anyway, thing. that was a digression again. It was. Uh, King of the Ring 93, I, I'm not even going to try and take that away from you. <laughs> you push me against my heart. <laughs> I'm doing because the old timey fisty cups. At this this isn't the first time you've mentioned Jack Gallagher impression. This isn't, isn't the first time you've mentioned King of the Ring '93 in uh, our podcast, and I'm just I, I I know I know which battles you can win and which you can't. Yeah. Pick your hill to die on. Pick your hill to die on. 
Super J Cup 94, I think that means a lot to you personally. I think it's too historically significant for you to not include it. Mm. The only junior heavyweight tournament that comes close, I think, in popularity is the 97 Best of the Super Juniors, which has that insane yeah. El Samurai Koji Kanemoto fight. I would say 2016's G1 Climax. Uh, 2013, 2013. You went for 2016. I went for 2016. I would say I would have that over 2013 because I do think in quite an insular world of Japanese wrestling historically in terms of you've had foreigners in it but mm. not eating at the top table or mm. like not being they're, they're gaijin they're, yeah. they're referred to differently I just think that the 2013 was just the height of you know because so much talent was then poached by the WWE mm. Nakamura Anderson Gallows AJ Styles but you know that was that was the most powerful New Japan roster I think that might have been that one might have been even 11 people deep like the 22 yeah. man tournaments I think that one was um, and it was also a big coming out party for Okada as well I think I might be mixing up my years then 2016 was Omega then it was Okada no no that's Omega Tanahashi Okada Nakamura I don't know anyway it's, it was a significant one okay um, so if I was going to take one of yours and play it I think I would go for the 2013 because even though it's a, it is a deep roster mm. and it is a good tournament I do think a gaijin winning the thing I just want to ask okay here's another one King of the Ring 2002 is there any what is memorable about that Brock Lesnar just destroying people I mean, he doesn't that's the thing he doesn't I rewatched that recently they had Paul Heyman interfere for him to beat Test they were still kind of hedging their bet, bets a bit with uh, Brock Lesnar at that mm. point but it, that was very much his coming out party though in that I would case. say his coming out party was SummerSlam and King of the Ring was just a means to an end for him getting it the Austin's 316 I can mm. give you a case for I think you're looking more at the significance of the winner rather yeah. than the tournament but itself. Yeah, perhaps that's how. Well, that's how I've gone for the interpretation of it mm. more. I think than the tournament overall. Which, to be fair, we never just we, no, we no, no. We, we leave it we but we but we decided that we want to have a definitive one so that someone mm. can go away and look something up. And I would make the case. I think, uh, like I said, the historical significance, I think everyone really needs to watch the Super J Cup 94. Okay. So if I was to push, I would say ditch one of yours for Super J Cup 94. Uh, Even if it does end with Chris Benoit triumphant and that's a little bit uh, dodgy in this day and age. But that was also another great coming out part for the great Sasuke. Mm. And Hayabusa made his debut on that as well. And also. Okay, I will take away from mine. I'll, ta- I'll, I'll take away Brock's. Okay. I'll take away Brock's. So I'll stick with... King of the Ring 98. King of the Ring 96. 96, sorry, 96. Brawl for All, because it shows... Um, I think it shows that you can over-sports. Yes, all that's true, that's true. And people need to be aware of, wary of that. I, th- I think... I think that the, the significance of your G1 Climax 2016 will depend on whether Kenny will... Omega's... Even, oh, yeah. even in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, because I think if anyone's going to lose their title shots along the way, it, could it be might be Omega. They might have Naito be the ultimate troll and take that away from him, and maybe lead to an Omega babyface turn. Well, possibly. I mean, that, that, that especially if they're worried he's going to get poached by the WWE. It's an unknown variable, so I, I get that. I get that. So I'll go for Brawl for All '96 and. I'd still keep G1 2016 if you like because that has been, I'll keep G1 2016 buzz of the internet yeah. for the past month I'm going to keep G1 2016 but I get your point that, yeah. that I have invested a lot of stock it's, in like, it's like when you put Tyler Breeze as one of your definitive pretty boys um, well he is the 
I, I still stand by that. He is the modern pretty boy. But no, it's just they don't get that. Yeah. But anyway, that has been the first of the new era of... Um, let me tell you something. Hopefully the acoustics haven't been too bad. As I've been looking at the volume controls, it kind of ebbs and flows, so maybe there's been some... You've had to listen a bit more carefully as it's gone on. This will be the other, This and the next one will be the only episodes that we do record in this room. So it's still a work in progress, but hopefully, I think... This has been a very enlightening conversation and you will keep tuned in as we go on into the future. But whilst in between that, if they want to get in touch with you, Simon, maybe they want to talk about tournaments, maybe they want to talk about Leicester, maybe they want to talk about your fine lining shirts. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they can find me on Facebook. Um, they can also find me on Twitter where I'm the Simon Cross Free. Um, so known because I play left back in the Southern Cross Eleven. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a hard position. Hard position. Is that your fancy football team? Or... No, no, no. Sorry, you wouldn't have yourself in your fans. That'd be a waste of points. No, that was, that was, <laughs> wow. no, no. You're right. You're right. Sometimes, sometimes your words hurt. But no, right. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of how you can find me on their social media. How can they find you, Rob? Well, they can find me in the streets of Birmingham after a hard night playing poker, yelling at the world. But otherwise, they can find me via Twitter at my name, at Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N for Norman. I always worry about that one. That maybe I should uh, clarify the N at the end as well. No, I think you're fine. I should think be you're okay. fine. Mullen is a weird name. Yeah. <laughs> Mullen. Although my whole name is almost... Uh, there's very few letters in it, or my real name anyway. Uh, we won't go into that. K-Fabe. K-Fabe, If you also want to learn more about my life as a wrestling fan, then by all means get in get a copy of, on your ebook uh, or your smartphone, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. It's been referred to by others, not me, and not by people I'm holding a gun to, as the definitive account of being a wrestling fan in the 90s. Like I said, buying the Super J Cup, a key part of that <laughs> life. Um, and that's also my email address, if you put at gmail.com at the end of it. I'm also on Facebook. And I will hopefully be writing a follow-up book in the next few months I'm working on, which will hopefully be out early next year about WrestleMania 17. Ooh. I'm writing a book about WrestleMania 17. That's a little bit of an exclusive for you right now okay. uh, so we'll have to discuss it for an that, that is well to, 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 to plug as it were but until um, that time my name is Lorcan Mullen my name is Simon Cross thank you for letting us tell you something have a good time until the next time farewell Thanks. And I'm Kenny May. With the first seven months of the basketball postseason out of the way, the playoff picture is now starting to emerge. So with last night's victory over Boston, next week the Beers must beat Indianapolis in order to advance to Charlotte. That's in an effort to reduce their magic number to three. Right, and then the Beers can advance to the National Eastern Division North to play Tampa. So if the Beers beat Detroit and Denver beats Atlanta in the American Southwestern Division East-Northern, then Milwaukee goes to the Denslow Cup, unless Baltimore can upset Buffalo and Charlotte ties Toronto. Then Oakland would play L.A. and Pittsburgh in a blind choice round robin. And if no clear winner emerges from all this, a two-man sack race will be held on consecutive Sundays until a champion is crowned.